Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to read a few verses of scripture uh, from this very, very popular, it's a very popular chapter in the book of Matthew and probably primarily popular because it deals with end times. You know, everybody always wants to flood the revelation because it's end times or go to Daniel end times. So this is a very popular chapter in Matthew uh, because it deals with with some of that subject matter. So I'm going to start with Matthew 24. I'm going to read verse number three, and then I'll skip down and read just a a few more verses. The Bible says in verse three, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, that he is Jesus, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world. Skipping down to verse number 10. Jesus is in now in response mode to them. And he says in verse 10. And then shall many be offended. And shall betray one another. And shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise. And shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end. The same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. So the disciples are very inquisitive about the end times, about when it's going to take place, what's going to take place, when these things are going to happen. And Jesus begins to give a series of of events and a series of sections that would point to or at least indicate uh, the end time period uh, that we will know or perhaps even living in right now. All right. And so I want to preach a little bit, though, concerning the church this morning. I want to talk to you today about the church until the end, the church until the end. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, I love you today. God, we need your help this morning. Lord, you're able to speak, Lord, to us. God, through your word, God, through the pages of scripture, help us, God, I pray, Lord, in these days in which we live, God, to be the church. God, you have, Lord, heard this, Lord, God, years and years, decades, years ago, Lord, on that day of Pentecost, Lord, you have set, Lord, her feet in a direction and in an order. Help us, Lord, to continue to be that, oh, Lord Jesus, I pray, God, until the in and will not fail to thank you and praise you lord for helping us do that in the name of jesus christ that i pray amen god bless you this morning in jesus name the church until the end again matthew 24 is one of those go-to chapters along with the books of daniel and the books the book of Revelation, whenever it comes to the last days or last things and end times that uh, may even be occurring in our times, not a may, some of these things that are written and recorded in Matthew 24 are things that are happening and some of them have been happening for quite some time. It's not like something new that's just paraded upon, uh, you know, the, 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 the streets of our world. They have been occurring for some time because we can all attest to the fact that we have heard of wars and rumors of wars for for many years 
uh, we have. If we've not been engaged in warfare, then there has been rumor of warfare that's going on. As a matter of fact, as far as the uh, the total scheme of the world, there's been very few few years within the history of the entirety of the world when there hasn't been war taking place somewhere. Uh, we have been a warring world in some regard. And yet Jesus told the disciples as they would hear of wars and rumors of wars, he said, uh, don't be troubled because the end is not yet. That's not the the cataclysmic sign of the end of the world. It is not quite yet because there are still yet some other things that must come to pass. He speaks also about, Jesus said, that nation would rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and that there would be pestilence and that there would be famines. And by the way, pestilence in the Greek just means any deadly infectious malady just for your information. Amen. And famines, pestilence, earthquakes in many places or divers places as the King James listed. So we, uh, you could go to the National Geographic uh, site of earthquakes and every day we're having earthquakes somewhere uh, of some magnitude to some uh, degree in many places. And yet again, Jesus tells them while all these things point toward the end, it's not the end quite yet. He says, these are just the beginning of sorrows according to the the Lord. He said these are just kind of like the birthing pains of a woman that's to bring a child forth. The contraction's not the end, that's just the beginning. What you're feeling in that 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 pain and there's somewhat of that contracting of, of the womb, that, that's just the beginning. It's not yet the end. And so the disciples were very then intrigued about the words of the Lord, the timing of these things and what should take place. They were interested about the second coming of Jesus Christ. No doubt, perhaps, because the certainty of his first coming had come to pass. Everything that the Old Testament prophets had prophesied had come to pass. They had come to fruition. What Isaiah and others uh, of his contemporaries had prophesied of, of a virgin birth and a son being born in Bethlehem, all of those things had come to pass. And so looking over their shoulder with the certainty of everything that was spoken about the first coming having come about through Jesus' birth in Bethlehem's manger, they're intrigued then about this talk about the second coming when he would come again. Being that there were around 351 Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus. Amen. They were concerning his birth and his life. And being that all of them came to pass through his birth and life, 351 Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ's first coming, then that made the disciples wonder about this talk about his second coming. They wanted to pay attention. Amen. That the scripture and that Jesus himself spoke that he would come again for that matter, whenever you look through the pages of scripture, references to the second coming of Jesus Christ outnumber the references to his first coming at a ratio of eight to one. In other words, for every prophecy there was about his first coming, there's eight that concern his second coming. And so if his first coming was sure as we know it was, then how much even more sure is his second coming? If he came the first time, he's going to come again. Amen. And so the disciples wanted to know the when of his coming. 
They wanted to know the what of his second coming. What, what, when, and what concerning the end of the earth. And so Jesus leads with his answer and his response to them with telling them, take heed that no man deceives you. In other words, he says, telling them that the period of time that's leading up to his second coming or the end of the world will be a time of deception. It will be a time, in a deceptive time. It'll be difficult to know who you can trust, what you can trust, what source, news media outlet might I even say that you can trust, what, what governing body or political figure or people in a row of, 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 of authority who you would be able to trust. And so no wonder then throughout the scripture that Jesus is emphasizing then his own word and the truth of his word that's just embedded all throughout the scriptures and he's constantly telling us from the Old Testament to the New Testament to take this word that he has given us and hide it in our heart and, and try to acquaint ourselves and familiar ourselves with the word of God whether it be just information contained in it or whether it be doctrine that's within it because Jesus knows that there's a day coming that it's going to be a very deceptive day. It's going to be a very day when people could be fooled and he wanted them to be familiar with his word and familiar with his truth because pre-adventure there's ever a day here in America that we don't have the ability to carry a Bible or have any type of scriptures in our possession. He says, I want you in those days not to be deceived concerning my word. I want you to know my word. I want you to know the truth. I don't want anybody to be able to pull the wool over your eyes concerning the word of God because deception he told him is going to run rampant in the last days he said there'll be false Christ there'll be false prophets there'll all be all kinds of pseudo if you will religions and you need to know the truth for yourself can I just pause this morning and say as a church as a Christian you need to know the truth for yourself you need to know what the Bible says about baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost and what sin and what isn't sin you you need to know what the Bible says about his second coming and the events that's leading up amen to the rapture of the church you need to know because someone could just tell you well it's just the economy or oh, well it's just global warming or oh, well it's just that no 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 friend you need to know the truth it's only the truth that will set you free you need to know the truth because we're going to be living in deceptive time the end times may be a period as the bible describes in timothy that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. But let me make something clear here today. Though evil men and seducers may wax worse and worse, that does not mean that the church must mirror that worsening in the church's own character, in the church's own conduct, in the church's own attitude, in the church's own diplomacy, in the church's own love. In other words, what I'm saying, we need not to reflect the dilemma of the world. We need not reflect the, the if you will, the chaos of the society around us. We need not reflect the hate. We need not reflect the hate or the attitude or, or if you will, the, the animosity of the world that's around us. If it wax worse and worse, then by all means, let the church wax better and better. Let the light shine brighter. Let it shine further because we know the truth of the matter. 
because here's the fact folks we cannot help and I stand upon this today that we cannot help guide a world and instruct a world and help save a broken world with a broken church amen we're in this world scripture says but we are not of this world we are not of it, meaning we are not we are not of its origin. It's not our origin. We 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 the material that the church is made up of is not what the world is made up. We're not of the world. The church must rise above the fray and be the church until the end. The Old Testament ark. Listen to me here this morning. The Old Testament ark that Noah was commanded of God to build was symbolical of a New Testament church that he would one day have in existence. The ark was built, if you'll remember in Genesis 8 and 9, 7, 8 and 9, the ark was built for the saving of Noah's family and anyone who would have entered into that solitary door that was upon the ark. Everyone in the New Testament church, in the New Testament scripture, they are born into the church. We don't have to join a church. We don't subscribe to the concept or the idea that somebody joins a church. But according to the word of the Lord, we are born into the church. In other words, coming and being a part of the church isn't paperwork. It's not signing your name to some role. It's not, you know, having the government come and say, well, are you a member? No, 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 no. Being a part of the church is being born into the church. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, for by one spirit, I say one spirit. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jew or Gentiles. Whether we be bond or free. Having been all made to drink into one spirit. Amen. Again, we are born into the church by the spirit. That's what makes us a part of this one body called the body of Christ. The bride of Christ. The church of the living God. And so that ark in the Old Testament was symbolical of the church. The, 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 the information, the guidance that God gave Noah. He said that ark must be pitched within and without. It was a bituminous material that made the ark waterproof. It's got to be pitched within and it's got to be pitched without. And the reason why Noah this must be pitched within and pitched without is because the pitch on the ark is going to keep the flood waters of destruction out of the ark. That's the whole purpose. You want it pitched within and without because where the floodwaters and what they are doing and the destruction and all the chaos of them, you don't want that getting in the ark. If that was a symbol of the New Testament church, then he has a similar idea for the church today. That the floodwaters of destruction, chaos, mayhem, destruction all around us. He wants the church to be equipped in such a way that what's going on around us doesn't get inside the church. Doesn't get inside the spirit of the church. Doesn't get inside the mentality of the church. The ark would have failed in its purpose if the water on the outside got in the inside. No, it had to be the ark. What are you saying? That ark would not advantage anybody else. Amen. If water got into the ark, it'd been no different than being outside the ark. It had to be the ark until the flood days were over. I'm here to tell somebody on this Sunday morning, we gotta be the church to the end. We can't let all the chaos get in the church. We gotta be the church. We gotta be a place where someone can. 
be saved. Flood was a horrible event in the Old Testament scripture. Total destruction of the unknown world. But rather than the ark, hear me, rather than the ark being taken out of destruction, it was raised above the destruction. Look what the Bible says in Genesis 7, 17. This is from the New International Version. It says for 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth and as the waters of destruction, mayhem, all, all that, as the waters increased, they lifted the, uh, the ark high above the earth. Had it not been pitched, it would have been seeping into the ark. But because it was pitched, whew, what was happening around it wasn't getting in it, but it was just lifting above it. What are you saying? I'm saying the church ain't going down. I'm saying the church isn't overwhelmed. I'm saying the church isn't being overtaken by what's going on around here. If anything, we're harnessing the current and we're rising above. We're increasing and floating a little higher. Why? Because we are the church. Someone say amen. He goes on. He goes on to say there in that particular scripture, verse number 18 then, he said the ark floated on the surface of the water. So here's a horrible event in the world. And the ark experiences it just the same. But one is not taken into destruction. And that's the ark. Experiences for the same floodwaters that the rest of the earth experience, but it's not taken in the destruction. And thankfully, the Bible records those on the ark found themselves lifted high above the earth, all the while the otherwise damaging flood waters increased, sloshed around, beat vehemently upon the mountains and all the surface of the earth but the ark is just on the surface floating around floating on the surface not being pulled below not being pulled down amen damaging water's not getting inside because she's pitched within and without and she was for the saving of humanity if they would avail themselves what are you saying I'm saying ladies and gentlemen we want the same verdict to a certain degree, as all those that were on the ark, that whenever all of this re- re- recedes and this is over, and whether that comes with the return of the Lord, then so be it. Whenever all of this is over and has been played out, we want the verdict of what happened with those that were on the ark, and that is this. That the ark, the Bible says, this is what the scripture says, that Noah and those that were with him and the ark were left. All this is said and done. We want to have survived, made it, not been taken under. As long as the church is in the world, yes, she will be familiar with everything else the rest of the world experiences. She'll see the floodwaters. She'll hear the floodwaters. 
She will will experience everything else the rest of the world experiences. She will feel, if you will, the church will feel the heat of our times. And she will be aware of and sensitive to the struggles of our surroundings. But may it be said of the church until the end that she rose above that. That she glided on the surface of what was happening around her. Amen. And of what inundated everything else. That she was above all that. Because when it's all said and done, we need to still be the church and everything in it needs to be intact until the end perhaps among the greatest deceptions of the end times again he led with Jesus led with in his response take heed be not deceived let no man deceive you deception is going to be a time of deception perhaps among the greatest deceptions of the last times would not be the false prophets or the false Christ or media outlets or governments. Perhaps the greatest deceptions of the last times will be self-deception. Sure, we got to be on the outlook for the false prophet. We must be on the outlook for false teachers and all these governmental pseudo personalities. But we also must be aware of our tendencies. Someone say amen. Bible says in Matthew 24 and 12 in my text this morning and because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold I've grown up I've heard portions and pieces of Matthew 24 preached throughout my entire life over my lifetime I've heard verse number 12 quoted I've heard it preached about my entire life amen and typically whenever it is preached and taught uh, we typically know as growing up I knew where people were going to go with this typically whenever that verse was read due to the iniquity that would be in the world according to the scripture or even perhaps the allowances of that iniquity amen being in an individual's life the scripture says that the love of many will wax cold meaning in the days in which I grew up meaning that sin will cause people's love for God Sin will cause people's love for God to wane. Or iniquity will cause people's love for God to increasingly become cold and indifferent. However, in October of this past year, God just kind of laid his hand on my mind one more time. As I read a familiar verse of scripture last year in October, and I couldn't tell you exactly what was going on, but I know a lot of what went on last year. Amen. Within our world, God redirected my focus as I thought upon this verse, and I pondered a society, Brother Mason, that was filled with hatred. I pondered a society that was filled with unrest and with prejudice. And whenever I say society this morning, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church world, too. There is a lot of things that went on this past year that seeped within the church. Amen. And so as I as I began to ponder this back in October of last year, and I seen that iniquity was abounding, and it still yet is abounding, and it is increasing. God quickened my mind, Bishop to this verse number 12, and the setting that it is set in. What if... The iniquity abounding and the love of many waxing code isn't so much about people turning away from God as much as it is them not loving like God. Hold, 
Hold with me here for a moment. Because previously in verse number 10, Jesus tells his disciples that many would be offended and that people would betray one another and that people would hate one another. Someone say amen. We like to take those verses and just regulate that brother Mason totally to the world. The world's offending one another. The world's betraying one another. The world's hating one another. That's just the world. That's just sinners. But from what I've seen in recent months over the past year, I'm afraid the church and Christians could just be as easily guilty, included in that word, many shall betray, and many shall hate one another, and many shall offend one another. What are you saying? I feel like in certain instances that the floodwaters have seeped into the ark. The floodwaters have seeped into the church. It's gotten into the church. Perhaps Jesus wasn't talking about people's love for the church or their allegiance to God waxing gold as much as people's love for many or of many waxing gold. What are you talking about? That maybe people's diversity of love was telling. People will not love black or white. People will not love officer or government. People will not love Latino or Asian. People will not love Democrat or Republican. People will what are you saying? That's not just a world problem. That's a church problem. That's a Christian problem. The love of many, even including the church, has waxed cold because iniquity is abounding. I can't look at somebody and disagree with them and still love that they have a soul that needs saving, that's in danger of hellfire, unless somebody would show the love of God. The love of many has waxed cold. We gotta be the church until the end. We rally around verse number 13. That gives us the idea. He that endures to the end, the shame shall be saved. Like, bless God, that's us Christians, yes, amen. He that endures to the end, the shame shall be saved. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, that's us. But we skip over verse 14, don't we? That relates to us the fact. Those that endure and those that are doing that enduring must preach the gospel of the kingdom to all the world for a witness unto all. Someone say the next word. All nations. Listen to me here for a moment, folks. The word nations here in the Greek specifically encompasses foreign or non-Jewish nations, but it goes beyond that properly. It is people joined by practicing similar customs or common culture. That's what nations are. People that practice similar customs or common culture. In other words, the gospel is to be preached and carried to people. Are you listening to me? Unlike us. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it meant for Old Testament, New Testament, what it means for us today. That means they had to take the gospel to the pagans. They had to take the gospel in the Old Testament, New Testament to the heathens. That means we must take the gospel to sinners. 
Oh, just go along with me. They had a, a, a idea, brother, brother Mason, that nations, they were those that are practicing similar customs and common culture. That means we got to go and take the gospel to people that think differently than we do. That means we got to take the gospel to people that are immoral. That means we got to take the gospel to people that don't share the same values that we share. And that probably means they don't share the same political values we share either. But we got to love many. are the nations. Our mind just wraps around whether it's Asian or Jew. No, 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 no. It goes deeper than that. It goes people that are not like you are. Not just in ethnicity or race or creed, but in dogmas, beliefs, and values. And on top of that, people that are alien to the concepts of God and his word, we know for sure can fall into any race or any creed or any ethnic group, any lifestyle. But the church cannot join the masses of society because of the rampant immorality and lose our love for or of many. We pride ourselves. When I say ourselves, I'm not talking about for a I'm talking about the church overall. We pride ourselves in the diversity of the church. We go to such scriptures as Revelations chapter 5, and we tell how the picture in heaven will be one of ten thousands times ten thousands and thousands of thousands, the book of Revelation says. We back up a few verses and share the dynamics of that multitude, that number that no man could number. In Revelations 5 and 9, the Bible says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof. For thou, speaking, Jesus was slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So we pride ourselves in the diversity of the church because the church is from truly an assortment of people. But it's hard sometimes to recognize that because the church isn't just about a diversity, watch me here, but the church in reality is about a diverse unity. Amen. We capitalize more on its unity than we do its diversity because the moment you become born into the church... There's only one identity in the church. That's his. The Bible said we have been given and been made to be partakers of his divine nature. We become his. That's the identity of the church. So in the church, according to even New Testament epistle writing, is neither Jew nor Greek. Because the moment that the Jew or the Greek is born into the church... They are his. Neither is there male or female. Because once they get born into the church, they're his. The Bible says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So it's talking about this diversity that's coming to a unity in the body of Christ, the church of Christ. Colossians 3 and 11 says, where there is neither Jew nor Greek circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all. And in 
all. Amen. And so having been his, being a part of the church, being born into it and becoming his and having taken an identity of solidarity, a oneness with people of other nations and creed, we come under the umbrella of being his. We got to understand all of this unless we forget that Paul reminded some in the book of Corinthians that although we're all his and we're under the umbrella of who he is and we've taken on his divine nature, he said, do not forget that some of you were fornicators and idolaters and adulterers and effeminate and abusers of yourself with mankind, thieves and covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, in every respect, sinners. He says, we're all his under the umbrella of the church. But before you came to know him, you had ideas that were contrary to him. You had beliefs that were opposed to him. You may even had hatred toward him. You didn't, dis, you didn't agree with him. Well, how did you ever become a part of his? Because someone knew how to love many. Because the adulterer was loved and the fornicator was loved. And the drunkard was loved. And the extortioner was loved. I didn't agree with the drunkard in his lifestyle. But I loved the person that was bound up by the drunkenness. I didn't love, I didn't love the activity of the fornicator. But there was a person that was bound up by a spirit of fornication that needed some loving. Someone say amen. And so an honorable, an honorable trait of the church is her ability to hate sin and yet love the sinner. And once you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, Brother Terry, because that trait was picked up by the church from God. The Bible says, and I read this from the ESV, but the Bible says, Romans 5 and 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Hold on. Hold, we, I don't know how many times I've quoted that scripture. Rattle it off. God commended, in the King James, it's God commended his love toward us in that well where he yes, sinners. Christ died for us. But you know what this is saying to me? They were still sinners. And if they are a sinner, they must still be sinning. Or got sin nature. And Christ, though what they were doing was totally different, diabolical, not valued the same as what he valued, he loved them. Love does not start at the point of alteration or change. Love begins before change ever occurs. Love begins before change ever happened. I might even tell you that love is a proponent and a tool to help further change. Because had he never loved, had he never sacrificed, there would have been no tool for their alteration. But since he loved them still in their sin, loved them still messed up with different values, his love was a tool and a way and a means to get them up out of where they were. Folks, they're not going to change with you fighting with him. They're not going to change with you disagreeing them on every crossing of the T and dotting of the I. They're not going to love. No, 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 no. You've got to love them out of some of those situations. You got to love them out of some of their pits. You got to love them out of some. 
And we must be the church until the end. God loved the sinner in the midst of the sin. That's genuine love. Or as the King James says in Romans, that's love. This is King James word. That's love without dissimulation. He says in Romans 12 and 9, King James, let love be without dissimulation. He goes on with a little further clarification. Abhor, despise, loathe that which is evil, but cleave to that which is good. There's a lot of, can I say it like this? There's a lot of good people doing evil things. There's a lot of good people doing evil things. Good people that are just caught in the throes of wickedness. Just caught in the throes of nonsense. What we must do is love without dissimulation. We got to abhor the evil. Action. And cleave to the good. The person that's been tied up. Indoctrinated. Swallowed up. By a spirit of whatever. It's leading them and they're walking just as just like a just just as just as easily as anything. They're following the path of destruction. But if you could remove the action, if you could remove the influence from the person, they might have a different chance in life. In many ways, a lot a lot of us here this morning was just a good people that was caught up into some bad things. We had bad activities. I'm afraid in certain respects in the end times, we got to be wary as the church. As the evil and iniquity abounds and more pronounced, we got to be careful as the church that we're not shedding our love for them. As this thing gets worse. I said this to my wife the other day, and it was just a solitary statement in the book that I read this past year. And he wasn't applying it to the church, but I, when I spoke to her, I was. I said, church has come, has gone from the place, Brother Mason, of disagreeing with people to disdaining people. Because I might not agree with something that Sarah Johnson does, but that doesn't mean I hate Sarah Johnson. I can disagree without disdaining the person. There's a lot of stuff in, in our society I do not agree with. But I don't hate the people that's caught up into that. Because if we could ever isolate that from them. Perhaps love could win them. If we start to think for a moment, the New Testament scripture, brother and sister Trout, would be lacking an apostle Paul. Had not Ananias taken a chance on loving him through who he was, which was a persecutor of the church. For that matter, Paul even admits himself and Timothy that he had been the chief of sinners. Chief 
of sinners. Paul imprisoned people. Paul allowed the coats of Stephen stoners to be laid at his feet as he looked on. And Stephen, a preacher of righteousness, life was taken. Paul was indeed a sinner. And he had some ideas that did not correlate with the church of the living God. He had some actions that many of them did not agree with. For that matter, Ananias even raises his voice in the questioning of everything when God first spoke to him about Paul. He says in Acts 9 and verse 13, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man, look at it now, how much evil, how much evil he, Paul, hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on my name. Ananias is saying, Lord, you want me to go find Paul, but he's evil. He practices wickedness. He does stuff that is totally contrary to the church. But in all of that, listen to me, God found something redeemable. In Paul, he told Ananias, he said, Paul is a chosen vessel. I know he's done evil. I know he's done wicked. I know he's imprisoned people. I know he watched on as, as Stephen was stoned, but he's a chosen vessel. What is he saying? I'm going to abhor the evil, but I'm going to cleave to the good. There's a soul there. There's a vessel there. He's a chosen vessel. God didn't endorse Paul's sin. He was reaching for the man. He was reaching for the good. He was trying to love many. And of all the things that the Lord hates in Proverbs 6 and 7 are abomination, the Bible says. When you really look at each one, what it kind of all simmers down and boils down to is these. All of the things that the Lord hates in reality are the unholy actions carried out by people. It's not so much the person as much as it is the action of the person that he hates. He hates unholy actions. He disagrees with unholy activity. But he still loves the person. Everybody doing okay? In the New Testament scripture, the book of Philemon. Brother Malone, you might be able to remember some of this. We did some stuff online with a group of guys from Nebraska and some from the home church concerning the book of Philemon. But the Apostle Paul in the book of Philemon is challenging love. He challenges the love of Philemon for whom the book is named. According to the book of Philemon, verse number two, Philemon had a church in his house. He had a church in his house. They would come and they would gather together to worship at Philemon's house. He offered his place, his residency as a place to hood church services. And Paul goes on. He begins to rave and rave about Philemon. You had a church in your house. And, and he goes on to rave about him. Philemon, you had, look at, look what he does. Paul's like, Philemon, you had such love and faith toward God and toward all the saints. Quote marks for me, okay. Oh, you had love toward God and toward the saints. However, the book of Philemon records the story that Philemon had someone that had been a part of his life that to him was considered a servant. And that this man, his name was Onesimus. And Onesimus was unprofitable in the eyes of Philemon. For that matter, Onesimus had departed from Philemon. 
Onesimus had in some regards wronged Philemon. He had taken advantage of Philemon. Simply put, if I put it in these terms this morning, Onesimus didn't see eye to eye or value the same things as Philemon. Nonetheless, Brother Mason, there had been a change according to Paul in Onesimus. And Paul, Paul wanted to know if Timothy, watch me here, or not Timothy, but Philemon. Paul wanted to know if Philemon, Philemon, can you love someone who you disagreed with? He wanted to know, Philemon, could you love many? Because yes, of course, here Onesimus is a changed person. But Philemon, at that point in the past, had not abhorred the evil without making it personal and abhorred the person, Onesimus. He couldn't take the wrong that Philemon did and not just say, well, I'm going to wash my hands of Onesimus altogether. Paul's leaning on the fact, Philemon, you held church in your house. You have a reputation of loving God in the saints, but will you have a love of many? Can you stretch your love beyond God and just those that are just like you? Have, have, have you allowed the wrongs and the disputes of a servant to tarnish your love? Are you selective? If you're, it's kind of like, you know, the men that came up to the Lord and they say, you know, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Lord, who is our neighbor? And he tells them the whole story of the Good Samaritan. Because they're wanting him to draw a line in the sand. Just tell me who my neighbor is so I can draw the line. And I'll go that far with my love, but I'll never have to worry about going any further. And the Lord says, you've done, you've done missed the whole concept of love if you start putting parameters and boundaries on it. Love is not a line in the sand. Woo! <laughs> love, love is not a line, amen, in the sand. Amen. And so Paul trusted Philemon as he's ending the chapter. He trusts Philemon. He says, Philemon, he says, I believe that you're going to go beyond what, what I'm request, requesting of you. I believe you're going to love, amen, someone that even has despised you. Paul believed that Philemon would be, would be the church until the end, that he would, Philemon would love God. He would love the saints and he would love somebody that had become a brother. Amen. Somebody that had been unlike him. And hopefully Philemon like the church amen would do more Paul said Philemon I'm telling you this because I believe you'll do more than what's expected I hope God can entrust that with us in the end times that he'll say church I'm entrusting with you to love your neighbor love your foe love your enemy love with those that disagree love those with different values and I just have I just have an inkling church that you're going to even go beyond what I'm anticipating you're going to be go beyond what I'm requesting because you're going to be the church of until the we gotta wrap it up don't we the symbol of the Old Testament ark being the church of course is quite refreshing when you think of it rising above the waters of misfortune however just walk with me here carefully here at the end. However, it is pitiful when we consider no one except Noah 
and his family were in the ark. During the days of Noah, Sister Rhonda, the world is swarming with criminals, with thieves. The Bible says in Genesis 6 and 5, the imagination of the thoughts of man's heart were only evil continually. That was the condition of Noah's day. It says that the earth was filled with violence. And yet Noah stood out in his generation. Noah lived through this time. But he lived with a means such as an ark. The world's greatest hope. But nobody outside of Noah's family filled the ark. Stand with me this morning. You may have seen this or been exposed to this before, but Noah's not listed in the Abraham, the Isaac, and the Jacob patriarchs. Because when God said... That he would destroy humanity by a flood. Unlike Abraham who interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. You never see that Noah interceded. For the people. Of the world. Peter ascribes to him. That Noah was a preacher. Of righteousness. But nothing is ever spoken about him being an intercessor. Of the souls. Who were evil continually. Violence was all over the land. In this regard Noah is unlike Abraham. Because Abraham interceded for the people. He pleaded for the men of Sodom. Although Sodom was likewise filled with wickedness and evil. What are you saying? I'm saying Noah may be charged. With having lacked a love of many. Because we can build our arks. And pitch them within and without. And we can be great preachers. But if we failed to be lovers. Ironically. And this is so ironic to me folks. Ironically. The descendants of Noah. Remain a single. Solitary people. With a single language. With a single culture. For ten generations. All the way until the days of Babel. And it would be there then at Babel. That God would take all of these descendants of the unity only us generation of Noah. And confuse their language. Causing them to what? Disperse all over the face of the earth. Splitting into, Brother Fred, 70 nations. He didn't intercede for those unlike him. But 10 generations after his family has grown and went in just solidarity of language and tongue, God comes down, confuses their tongue, and he makes them many. 70 nations of different cultures of people. Can I put it like this? 70 different cultures of people that throughout the future would be in need of some love. That would diverge in many respects, being different than what the Hebrew people had been. The Bible says this in verse 37 of Matthew 24, where we started. It said, but as the days of Noah, which is Noah, were, 
so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Iniquity abounded in Noah's days. Iniquity will and already is to some degree abounding in our days. The days of the coming of the Son of Man. Noah had an ark to enter in his day that had been pitched in and out. We have a church to enter that's been properly maintained within and out. However, unlike Noah, I wondered this morning if we could be the church unto the end and love many as God loves I wonder if we could abhor the evil and still cleave to some of the good that's found in the people of this world. So I don't want to herald an ark. I don't want to herald a message without showing some love. Iniquity shall abound. If we can close our eyes, iniquity shall abound. The love of many will wax cold, fend one another, betray one another, hate one another. God, I don't want it to be said. I don't want it to be said of me. (sighs) There's some people in need of love today. There's people outside of these four walls within this community that's in need of some love. There's some people that have some different ideas than you have that you are so staunch and rigid on. And that's okay. You need to have convictions. But don't let your disagreeing turn to disdaining a person. There's some people that need some love. There's some people that need some love. People that's bound up in sin and addictions and they they need some love. There's some people bound up into some lifestyles that, that, that have accepted propaganda that they were born this way. That they just need some love. They need to be loved out of some of their caves, loved out of some of their pits, loved out of some of their dilemmas. Does that mean we throw away truth? No, no, we never do that. We hold to the values. We hold to the things of God's word. But we also love people into a relationship with God. For greater love hath no man than this, than that he laid down his life. (laughs) That he laid down his life for his friends these altars are open for anybody in this place that would like to make a few steps forward this morning and say pastor mcgee i'm going to be the church until the end i'm going to be the church until the end i was the adulterer i was the fornicator i was the one with the differing opinion that was totally contrary to god and his word but somebody loved me through it they loved me hated the actions they hated they hated if you will the sin but they loved me i'm going to be the church until the end someone join me here today that would cry out to god say god you can depend upon me in these end times you can depend upon me in these last days but although iniquity will iniquity increases god i'm going to love i'm going to love many i'm going to love many can we talk to the lord right now personally from our own hearts and lives God, help me, Lord. God, who is it, Lord, that's within, Lord, a group or within a radius of me, God, that I, I can show love to? God, that I, I know, Lord. And there may be spokes. It's going, sometimes it's going to be hard maybe on you to do that. But God will help you. God will help you to love. 
that will help you to love amen unconditionally hallelujah Jesus let's talk to Lord Brother Mason today hallelujah let's be the church into the end Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Beyond the facades, beyond the activity, is a soul. Beyond the temporal flesh and blood that you see with your eyes is an eternal part of mankind that will spend eternity somewhere. we got to be the church. We can't come to the end and it just be Noah and his family. We got to be the church. We can't just be preachers of righteousness. We got to be lovers of sinners. Lovers of those of different nations, skin color, tone, yes, but of people of different value systems that we got to love them. Hey, to be one, call me to be. That's what I'll be. Oh, yes, God. Oh, I will be what you called me to be. I'll say yes. Lord, I'll agree. My desire, passion. Call me to be That's what I'll be Oh, Holy Ghost, yes Oh, yes I will be what you called me to be I'll say yes Lord, I am That's what I'll be. Let's sing it this morning if you can. I'll Raise your voice. Yes. Oh, yes. 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 I, I agree. agree. Hallelujah. We say yes, Lord. Oh, I'll say yes. 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 I'll agree. could just for a moment return to your seats here before we leave today 
Um, we want to uh, give honor this morning uh, before we leave. We've typically tried to do this always uh, shortly after a business session. And uh, I don't honestly remember what took place last year. But I mean, I know it took place last year, but uh, but during this time. But we never did have an opportunity to honor Sister Roberta Mason and all of uh, her hard work throughout the year of keeping books and keeping us on track and making sure everything is squared away with lawyers and paperwork that annually has to be sent, so on and so forth. And so we've tried to make up for our last year of missing. Amen. We want to honor her this morning. I want my wife here to amen say a few words if she will amen sister mason you can come sit on this front row i won't make you stand up here on the platform um but we do want to take a moment um two years ago sister mason uh stepped into the role of being secretary here at the church and just to step into that role and have so much to learn she gave it hours and hours and hours to learn this job which had been done by Sister Penrod for 17 years. So you can only imagine all the changes and what she had to step into to learn that role. And so she worked on learning all that for a year, only for last year to come and be hit with a whole new set of circumstances where we couldn't gather. We had to figure out how people could give, throw tithely in the mix. She went out of her way to do whatever she could to accommodate what needed to be done to still fulfill her job here at the church. If that meant letting people drop off their ties at her house, if that meant making extra trips to the post office, whatever she had to do, she made it happen. And she has given so many hours in these past two years. And it was our failing in last year that we didn't get to this in the January, February timeframe. And then we ended up not even having church for so many months. So we're making up for it, Sister Mason. Two years worth of honoring um, with your gift. We have some gift cards. We have a gift. But we are so thankful for all that she does. It's a thankless job to sit in that office week in and week out and do everything that she does to process all of the bank deposits, the attendance, all the things she does besides what you see her do outside the church with worship and leading in worship and kids choir. This is something she does during the week as a job for the church that she is not paid for. There's no remuneration for what she does. And there's no way that we could ever repay her for what she does. But we just want you to know how much we appreciate you. We thank you for what you do. And we really appreciate what you've done for the church, especially in this past year. So thank you, Sister Mason. Can we stand and give her a hand for what she does for all of us? It's not just Pastor and I, but for all of us in the church. Thank you so much. We love you. Okay. I knew better, but I'm asking anyway. She wanted to say anything. So Pastor, you can go ahead and open your present, though. Amen. Remember then this week, Wednesday, church. All right, church, John, continuing. Thursday, prayer, 7.30 to 8.30. No service tonight. If you show up, man, raise your hands at the front door. Enter his gates of thanksgiving, of course, praise. Just do it, say hallelujah and realize it, and then go back home. Amen. We love you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.